How you doing, Purpose Claremont? Um, I'm glad you're tuning in. If you are, um, there's a few that you, a few of you that do, and I hope this is helpful. Um, just enjoying my time as I'm going through Joshua. Um, hope you are too. If you're caught up on the reading plan, that's where we are. We just started Joshua. I think it was yesterday, um, and we're all the way through chapter seven or eight. I think it was. I think it was eight today. Um, so yeah, I hope that you're enjoying it. I just wanted to pray before we jumped in, and then a few things to share um, over the last couple of days that I feel like God's just kind of either been reminding me of or um, kind of I've never I've never noticed before, kind of revealing new, and I love that. Um, so let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your word, and I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight, the ability to, to discern your voice, to see what it is that you're teaching to us uh, through your word, by your spirit, as you speak to us, that we would discern your voice, and then know your word in order that we would know what it is that you're speaking to us. Um, but God, as we've been spending time with you, we thank you, God, that you um, gave us your, your book, um, that we could know you better, um, that we could know what you've called us to do, know our plight, know your remedy, that we could interact with you, um, that we're not based upon any other charismatic personality, but, but except just focusing in on you. And so God, bless this time as we spend it together. We pray in your name. Amen. Uh, so yeah, Joshua is is a book that I have, I've always loved it. Um, well, at least since I was early 20s. And here's the reason. So um, I remember there was a time when I just, I think, I'd, I don't know if I'd, I think I had just taken over full-time uh, youth ministry at my first church. Um, and uh, there was, there was, a, there was something that happened with a couple of the youth and it just really bummed me out. It, it honestly affected me thinking, it made me think that I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to be a pastor. I didn't know, um, like I probably shouldn't be doing this for a living or for a vocation that maybe I wasn't called. And so I was really doubting it. I remember Kelly and I were dating at the time and we we're going for a walk. And then it was in the evening. And I remember saying, as we we're just walking, I was just kind of expressing just this, um, just the frustration I had. I was just kind of beating myself up for it, taking the blame for what they did. Um, and I really didn't have anything to do with it. But again, it was because I started thinking I'm not a good shepherd. And if they're not going to do what I say, then I shouldn't do this at all. Um, it's weird what 25 years will do to get your perspective back to reality. But um, then it was just kind of a, it was hurtful. And I remember we got close to where, uh, got close to my house. Well, I was living with my parents at the time. And I said something like, maybe I should just quit. Maybe I shouldn't, maybe I'm not called to this. Maybe I should do something different. And um, I remember she just stopped and she hit me in the chest and like with her fist. It wasn't just like, oh, like a little slap, but it was a pretty good pop. Um, and then she said, you need to go spend time with Jesus. And that was it. And I walked her to her car, and that was how the conversation ended. And then she drove home, and she wasn't mad, but she was right. Like I needed to go spend time with Jesus. I needed to hear what he thought, what he was saying. Um, and so I remember I walked into my bedroom, and I just finished reading a book, a book of the Bible. I, didn't know, I don't remember which one. And I started just going, gosh, what, what do I read now? I would finish a book and just start a different one. Not in any specific order or reading plan, but just, just to do it. Um, and so Joshua came to my mind. And here's what I read. And so um, especially when I get to, say, verse... Um, Actually, I'll just start verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. 
from the wilderness in this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites of the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I, now here's, here's what started hitting me. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And then it got, it got even more, um, it got even more, um, beneficial for me. It was like God was speaking to me. It was like one of the first times I can remember where God, I felt like, man, this is God. This is a God moment. Be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that I have all that all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so I remember reading that and then just stopping, especially the parts like, you will lead these people into the inheritance. Like, you will lead this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. It was like God is saying, okay, you need to you need to buck up. Like, you need to get ready. You need to stand strong. So be strong and courageous. Why would he have to say be strong and courageous to Joshua three different times within, I don't know, one... It's all, it's all, it's half a paragraph. Why three times? Well, here's, I think this is, I think it's obvious because Joshua is getting ready to lead after Moses, who was thought of as the greatest leader ever to walk the planet up to that moment. And here it is, be strong and courageous. Why? Because he's got to take over after him. He's going to lead hundreds of thousands, if, if not a million or two people into the promised land. However many there were, at least hundreds of thousands. He's now the guy. He's now the leader. And... Why we say it? be strong, courageous? Why? Because he feels weak and he's discouraged or he's afraid. And so God's like, be strong, courageous, be strong, courageous, be strong, courageous. And I felt like in that moment, God met me in my, um, in my fear, in my discouragement, in my, uh, in the, in this, in this idea that I didn't know what I was doing, which I don't, I didn't. And even now it's like, there's this complete reliance upon God. In fact, when I started, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I was doing youth group. However, I remember youth group being done. And then I thought that I knew it all. Uh, and I'm just doing it because this is the right way to do it. And now I'm kind of back to the point where I don't know what I'm doing. And I actually like it better. And that's not, I'm not trying to sh show any kind of false humility at all. I just would rather be reliant upon God, listening to what he has to say so that I don't get stuck in a rut and just kind of settle for man-made or results that I can muster up. But I want results that God has to perform. And so I'm fine being self-reliant now. Um, compared to um, when I was first starting ministry. But I remember God used that in such a huge, huge way for me um, and just encouraged me, don't, don't give up. Don't, don't give up on anything. Like, this is so important. I've called you to this. Just hang in there. Trust me. I'm with you to the very end of the age. Um, I'll be with you wherever you go. There's just this reminder. I mean, it was, that's what kept me to ministry. I remember, and then I remember telling Kelly about it and and then I just went, kept going, and I've been doing it 25 years since, and loved every um, every minute of it. And then um, chapter two, Joshua, the spies. Joshua sends not 12, but only two. <laughs> he sends two, and I wonder why. I wonder if it's like, well, we sent 12 last time, and it didn't go well. And Moses sent 12, it didn't go well. So I'm sending two, because because two came back with a positive report. Uh, 
When 12 went, 10 came back with a negative report. So let's just send two. And the two go into the into the promised land, and they're spying out the land, um, and they're noticing how amazing it is. And then they meet, um, but it's it's told it's told to the king that there's there's spies there to um, to see the land, and so they start a search, um, and then they meet a prostitute named Rahab, and Rahab hid them uh, from the king, so that um, so that they would live. And then she just said, "Hey, I need your." It's like. Uh, if you go down to verse 8, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of this Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the king, to the two kings of, of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon, to Og, uh, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And so she's, she's going, okay, this is what's going on. We know we're in trouble. We know you're coming to take over. And so then she asks, hey, swear to me, by the Lord, that you will show kindness to me. And then they say, okay, because you've hit it, you hit us. Um, anyone that's like you and anyone in your house that comes into your house, um, we will, we will, we will deal kindly with. So there's this whole thing. Now, here's the thing. Here's her refutation. Here's what she did. She's a prostitute. Now, what's so important to think about that is like, when you look at how she said, we know that this is what God's going to do. Like, we know that God has given you this land. Our, like, the, all the men in our, in Jericho are done. Like, we're, they're, none of them believe that they can over, overcome you because of what it is that God has done and how you've overcome all the people groups up until this point. And then you get to the end of chapter 2, and Joshua asks, okay, what's the land like? Uh, is this going to happen? And here's what they said. It said, uh, verse 24, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Really, what these two guys did was they quoted Rahab, the prostitute. And it hit me. I thought, they went forward because of because of a woman who shared, hey, this is what we're dealing with, and we I believe God's behind this. And it's a lot... She has the trade that so many today we would not take uh, take any kind of advice or words or wisdom from because of being a prostitute. And here's Rahab. He's like, well, yeah, well, she saw it. And so, yeah, she saw it was coming. She asked for kindness. It happened. But when they explain it, it's almost it's almost like you hear her speaking through them to Joshua saying, um, this is what's going to happen. We know that this is going to happen. So they take the words of a prostitute. And they go back to Joshua, and that's what Joshua uses to go into the promised land, the promised land that God had promised. And so God used a prostitute to speak boldness and truth into two spies who then go back to Joshua so that God's people can enter the promised land. And you can stop there, but you don't want to, because then you move over to Matthew chapter 1, and she's mentioned in what? She's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, like the family line of Jesus. So Rahab the prostitute is mentioned in the family line of Jesus. And so if she was never in the story and she wasn't part, like when you look at Joshua chapter two, it wasn't like she just had this moment here in Joshua chapter two and it's over. No. I mean, when you get to Matthew chapter one and they start and then you get to verse five and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And so Rahab is Boaz's 
mom, Boaz, um, find um, Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. So you see Boaz and Ruth. There's the book of Ruth. You'll get to that. We'll get to that when we read it. Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David, the king. And then it continues on. And he goes all the way to Jesus. So without Rahab in the story, this, this tapestry of a story of God working all things for his good in the lineage, in the family line of the coming Messiah, in the family line of Jesus is Rahab. And then she's mentioned in Hebrews, which is known as the Hall of Faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down, which is Joshua chapter 3, after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The part that hit me with that is, I, I mean, if you look at, at what she did, it was by faith that she did it, but really all that she did, and it could have cost her her life if the king found out, absolutely. But she hid some spies. Uh, she had she had given friendly, a friendly welcome to two spies um, of the people of Israel. And so I started thinking, okay, so what does God think of the things that we do by faith? Does he sit and go, ah, oh, Brian did that because he has faith. Because he loves me, he's doing that. And I could start listing names of all of you guys that are part of Purpose Claremont. Oh, they did that because of their faith. Like I see chapter 11 as this God bragging about those who've walked by faith and I don't think that God has stopped bragging. Of course, I won't know what it is that he thinks ultimately until I get to see him face to face. And maybe he'll say a couple things. I'm hoping, but at least well done, good and faithful servant. But when you think of Rahab, I know we go Joshua chapter 2, prostitute. You have Matthew chapter 1, in the lineage of the Messiah, of the coming king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus, God incarnate. She's in that family line mentioned in the hall of faith. We move back to Joshua chapter 5. Um, where they're getting, um, they had, they're getting ready to, um, I'm sorry, chapter three was not Jericho falling. Chapter six is Jericho falling. Chapter three is when they crossed the Jordan into the, into the promised land. Chapter five, um, there's this encounter and Nick, um, Craig did a podcast on this about, um, kind of looking at, at it from like an apologetics viewpoint, but the way that, not the way that I'm seeing it, it's, it's not different. He just looks at it from apologetics, just kind of showing the validity of scripture when it comes to what other, believe, what, what, other, what other religions believe. But when you look at this, this is so important. In chapter five, verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his, with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, like neither. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, Worship this person with a drawn sword. What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take up your sandals for, from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Here's the thing. I'm convinced this is Jesus pre-incarnate. And here's why. When Joshua bent down to worship him, if it was, if it was just an angel... Um, the angel would have said, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm a created being just like you, just like you. So don't worship me. And I think it's in Revelation where he says that. He, so Joshua bends down or bows down and worships. And so I believe that this is God incarnate. This is Jesus before he became a, before he became a man, the second person of the Trinity. But here's the thing. The question is, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he's like, no. And what I think we need to apply to this is, hey, God, you're on my side, right? Um, you're not on their side. And everyone does that. I'm on, like, if I have a side and I have people that don't like me or I don't like them and 
It's like, you're for me though, right? And God's like, no, I'm not for anybody. I'm for me. Like God is for himself. God's for his glory. And so this will sting a little bit. So it seems like Christians who mix politics and they want to make sure that God is more on their side, like God's more blue or God's more red, um, or maybe he's like a shade of whatever other um, party that you're part of. And you're like, God, you're for us, right? You're for us. And God's sitting there and go, no, I'm for me. We want to find truth based upon what scripture says, not based upon a political party or political preference. What do the scriptures say? Uh, that's And so I want to make sure that uh, can you go out of politics? You can kind of go into everything else and kind of go, God, you're, you're on my side, right? He's like, nope, I'm on my side. And we're called to be on his side. And then he has that same experience where he has to take his shoes off or take his sandals off because he's on holy ground. He had that experience. Moses had that experience as he got ready to go and lead the people out of Egypt um, uh, and out of slavery. Joshua has that same experience. And so I want to make sure that as we continue to move forward, and following Jesus, that we understand Jesus, yeah, he's for us, not against us. That does not mean that he's on my side. That means he's like he he's pulling for me, but I'm supposed to be all about him. I'm about him and him receiving glory and him being exemplified as the greatest, not making sure that everything that I see in my perspective, I can find a way for Jesus to jump on board with me. No, no, it's about it's supposed to be about me being with him on his side, not him on on mine or on yours. And so that that has always been, this is a reminder. God is kind of like, I'm about myself. I'm about, and here's the thing, as God is about himself, John Piper writes it, and I think I've quoted before, um, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Like he wants us to be satisfied in him. He's for us, not against us. So uh, chapter six of Joshua, walls of Jericho come down. Uh, chapter seven is, which is weird that Jericho was a bigger, a bigger thing for the people of Israel to deal with, the armies to deal with. I is super small. Um, the land of I, the people, the people uh, uh, says verse chapter seven, verse seven, but the chapter seven, verse one, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. So in chapter six, God's like, Hey, you can take some things, but you can't take everything. There's some things that I want you to, I want you to devote to destruction. And so then all of a sudden, um, you get to chapter 7, verse 1. The people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan and the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. And then so when the Israel went out to fight Ai, um, they only sent like two or 3,000 um, of their army, and they got jacked. I mean, they got beat up. And so it shouldn't have happened. And then, so they come back and said that they lost, I think that they said, they, I think it says they lost 36, 36 uh, soldiers from Israel died. They come back, give word to Joshua and he just, he, he falls before God. It's like, what happened? I am, he tears his clothes, um, just starts begging before God. He's showing, it's almost like a sign of mourning. And then you get to chapter, um, at the end of verse nine. And this is the part that hit me. He says, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. So all the other people that we've crossed over the Jordan, they'll hear that I beat us and they're going to come after us and they're going to destroy us. And then he asked this question and, and asked this question, and what will you do for your great name? Guys, this is the application. I sat back and I went, wait a minute. I've never seen this where I underlined it new in my Bible. What will you do for your great name? And I just asked God, I said, God, what will you do for your great name? Like, what, what will you do? 
And this isn't this isn't like me connecting it to like anger or anything. This is just God. I believe I believe you can do great things, and I want to see you do the kind of great things that I cannot take any credit for. And I want our church community to be the kind of followers of Jesus where we are so excited about watching and seeing and waiting on what it is that you will do for your great name instead of just doing certain things that get a little bit of a response that we can kind of manage our, on our own and we can take credit. No, no, no. I want those great things that God does for his great name. And I hope you do too. Like that was just such a good reminder for me um, as I looked at it going, okay, so God, what what will you do? And I didn't get anything specific, but a thought came to my mind. It's kind of like, oh, just wait and see. It was kind of like, it's a secret. And it was almost like, I can't wait to show you, but right now is not the time. And I mean, that's the thought that came into my mind. And I was so excited as I, um, as I wrote that in my journal thinking, oh my gosh, like I haven't seen the best yet of what it is that God's going to do. So then in closing, as we go over from there to Psalm 66, just a couple things. Um, starting verse 8 says, Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Now, watch, then listen to this. For you, O God, have tested us. And when I, I wrote that, I wrote in my Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 8, that there's a purpose in the testing. There's a purpose in the wilderness, that the people of Israel went through the wilderness. And there's a purpose when we go through those times where we feel like we're in the wilderness. So, for you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Uh, you brought us. And if you, um, the I'm a professional silversmith, not at all. I'm just joking. But what I have read about it is... Um, to purify silver, you heat it up, um, and then, it, like, picture it in, like, a big cauldron or something, but, like, you heat it up, and then as you heat it up, it liquefies, and as it liquefies, the dross, like, the impurities rise to the top, and then the silversmith will, will scrape those out, and the silversmith will keep that going, continue that process, until the silversmith sees his own reflection or her own reflection in the silver. When he looks into, when they look into the he or she looks into the, the into the silver, they see their own reflection. And so you have to see that that's what Jesus is doing with us. It's the process of sanctification. He's going to continue to test us, to try us as silver, to clear out the dross, the impurities, the things that we're struggling with, the things that are um, that, that were the appetites we have in our flesh, the way that we're struggling. He's gonna he's gonna push all those out. Um, take all those out until he sees only his reflection. It's the process, and it's it's difficult at times. But even Hebrews chapter twelve, the writer of Hebrews says, "Man, there's no discipline that is pleasant during the moment. All of it's painful, but it's always for our good." It goes on, uh, verse ten: "For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water." Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Now, verse 12 is the part that hit me. I know you get to verse 11. Uh, you laid a crushing burden on our backs. That just sounds horrible. Beginning of verse 12, you let men ride over your, our heads. You know, gosh, it's so easy to go, God, don't you even care? I mean, don't you care? And that's a lot of times when we go, when we go through the trials, a lot of times we're going to ask God, don't you care about what I'm facing? And God's like, if you would trust me, I'm sovereign. I love you more than you could ever imagine. This is for your good. But notice what he says uh, toward the middle and end of verse 12. We went through fire and through water. It's not like he takes us around the fire. He doesn't take us through the floods, through the waters, or around it. He brings us through the fire, and he brings us through the flood. Uh, he brings us, brings us through the water. And then he says in the end, Yet you have brought us out to a place of 
abundance. We will go through those times where it just feels like, oh, this is just so hard and it's so difficult. It's so hard to continue to go through. I feel like everything's against me. But his faithfulness is it. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. This is for our good. This is all wonderful. And so when I read that this morning, I went, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then you get down to verse, I think it was verse 16. And it says this, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Oh, okay, that verse. All of a sudden I looked and I went, that is the heartbeat behind why we share about Jesus. Yes, we, can, we always want to bring it back to the cross, what it is that he did for us, why it is that it's necessary. And I'm so glad we're going through the scriptures so we see in the Old Testament all the laws that were necessary, all the, sacri- the, the Levitical law, the, the sacrificial system, everything that was set up for the blood that was shed, the, the blood of sacrifice that would be shed so that we could be atone, that our sin could be atoned for. But all of that pointing, all of that pointing to Jesus coming one day. So we always want to do that. But listen to how he words it. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. That as followers of Jesus, we should be telling each other, hey, this is what God has been doing in my life. This is how God has been ministering, not to just physically outside that I've gotten good health and that's all good um, or fine, so fine. Okay, whatever. But this is how he's helped my soul. And guys, it's connected to the fact that God tested us. You've tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire, through water, yet you've brought us out to a place of abundance. Skipping down to verse 16, come in here. I'm going to give you a testimony. Those of you who fear God, I want to tell you all that he's done for my soul. And then as we share, when we share with those who don't know Jesus, we want to tell them, hey, this is what God has done for my soul. And connected to that is salvation. Connected to that is the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, the reason behind it for God so loved the world. And then we connect it even more to this is how God has been working in me and how he's helped me. And we went through this trial and how God came through. And it's just us bragging about Jesus. And so I thought, man, what a fantastic verse to just simplify what it is and how it is that we're supposed to share why. The heartbeat behind why we share is because is because that God has been so, so very good to us. And so I hope this is helpful. Um, I love you guys more than you know. I'm so loving my time going through um, the scriptures with you. Um, pass this on to anybody else that you think that's part of Purpose Claremont or not. I mean, if you want to pass it on to others and say, hey, we're doing this Bible reading program and invite them to join you in it. I mean, maybe for those that are kind of struggling, you're kind of falling behind, maybe knowing that, hey, you invited somebody who's not part of our church. Hey, we're doing, we're right, we're reading through the Bible. Would you do that with me? Hey, there's a podcast that kind of helps and helps every once in a while. Our pastor shares some things, whatever you want. However, this is helpful. Great. Um, but I just want to I just want to thank you that I get to walk through life with you, walk this journey with you, um, walk through the pages of Scripture with you. Uh, pray that you're blessed by this. Love you guys more than you know. And we'll talk to you later.